the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. We are here on the 19th of March, and uh, looking out the studio window here, what happened to the sunshine? My goodness, we were barbecuing on Saturday, and now it's time to take the umbrella and the overcoat back out again. Apparently more rain in the weather tomorrow, sneaking into the weekend. So, um, I don't know, did the, the, the spring of spring get sprung or something? What's the old adage? In like a lion, out like a lamb, and the other way around? I'm not sure where we're at. This is the new normal, I hope. I don't know. Somebody said today, weather-wise, it seemed to be unusual weather. I think years ago it used to be like this. It actually rained into early part of spring, and then we started summer, and we enjoyed normal cycles. So hopefully we're back to that at least for a while. No fun with the drought. At any rate, we're not going to talk about dry weather today, though. We're not going to talk about wet weather. we got a lot to talk about, though. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to talk a bit about the tragedy that unfolded in Christchurch, New Zealand last week, and whether or not this is a part of a larger trend. There seems to be some underlying currents here that go beyond notions of homebred terrorism and things of this sort to, to certainly why there seems to be developing a, um, a, a tremendous battle almost between uh, worldviews in some respects and who in the end is going to win and what the world will look like dependent upon who wins. Dr. John Zmirek joins us. He is the editor, senior editor of The Stream and former press secretary to Louisiana Governor Michael Foster. And uh, you frequently see his musings inside of both Success Magazine and Investors Business Daily. We'll get to a visit with John coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. Right now, we lead off with an important question once again about First Amendment rights here in the state of California. Uh, Seems like every few months something crops up where all of a sudden the question of uh, legality of one's rights in relationship to um, either religious or uh, freedom of expression or freedom of the press seem to come up. It's almost as if we all need to go back to school to understand really and truly what the Bill of Rights is all about and how we can not only protect our own rights but make sure that our actions don't infringe on the First Amendment rights of others. Joining me now, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus. Counselor, always great to have you on the program. Uh, Speech restrictions. We kind of talked about this uh, last time in relationship, last time we visited, in relationship to a uh, a preacher who was sharing the gospel, peacefully so, on a public sidewalk. Now we have the case of someone who is, I guess in one respect, doing a lot less if we look at this freedom of expression as uh, 
interruptive of others in the sense that he wasn't preaching, per se, out loud with amplification, but rather doing what a lot of folks do, um, quietly sharing their faith, uh, approaching people that they might see on the street, or in this case, on the public grounds of Cal Expo, the uh, fairgrounds in Sacramento, and sharing broadside tracks. And people all know these little Bible tracks. You see them all the time. That's what was taking place here. But apparently, um, the, uh, the authorities there the uh, police department that protects uh, the Cal Expo or the state fairgrounds in Sacramento uh, took umbrage with this gentleman exercising his First Amendment rights and even at one point accused him of soliciting. What's going on? Yeah, uh, Craig, our client, um, Bert uh, Kamenzant, uh, is a, a guy who just loves to, to reach out uh, at the, like the Cal Expo, the state fair, to um, events to be able to uh, connect with them and uh, different people, different groups, and so he has a uh, you know, gospel tracks in, the, in different languages uh, and of uh, different groups. And there's one group, the, the Hmong um, group, uh, cultural group. They were having a big uh, uh, a gathering and celebration, and um, while he was there at the at the, the Cal Expo, and uh, he was, you know, just simply, you know, here's a state fair event. Um, he would just, you know, give them. A gospel track or, or a coin with their uh, language in it, uh, with a brief mention of you know of, of the gospel or uh, or a Bible verse. So he wasn't creating any disturbance, but um, the police were, were called and they said that uh, that he could not uh, do what he was doing. Uh, that uh, first they said he didn't have a permit, but even if he did have a permit for free speech, um, we'll see. I see a problem there, and the courts in the past have seen a problem with that concept. Um, even if he did have a permit, they would place him in a little uh, six-foot-by-six-foot space uh, out of the entire 350-acre uh, property. He would di- there's only a six-by-six-foot space where people can uh, share their faith. He wasn't soliciting, wasn't raising money. He was just sharing Jesus, and they said, nope, that's confined to six-feet-by-six-feet six six at this Cal Expo that encompasses approximately 350 acres. Now, I suspect at a level, uh, perhaps the, the authorities at the fairgrounds say, well, you know, if every John, Dick, and Harry showed up here and wanted to pass out Bible tracts or broadsides or coins that have scriptures embossed on them, that, uh, you know, it would, would create uh, quite, uh, quite the mess or havoc or what, whatever they might consider it to be. Uh, but doesn't this become problematic because this is actually not private property, but this is public property? Right, and that's the real rub here, because uh, the First Amendment applies to government and government-owned property, and so when the government has something that's open to the public, uh, in, you know, in California in particular, we have case law, thanks to a case we had uh, a few years ago, where the court held that even in shopping malls, the, the open public area of a shopping mall, like the eating area and stuff, you know, that's, that's really a quasi-public uh, uh, you know, area for uh, for for discourse or for for not discourse but uh, for speech and sharing and whatever so it's a it's a quasi traditional public forum uh, and that's really you know we're just saying it's not a reasonable time place and manner restriction for for Cal Expo at the state fair to say okay anyone who wants to share their faith um, you know non in a non um, funding fundraising or not trying to sell anything but just simply share your faith you got to sit in the six foot by six foot little little space over here which really prevents people from being able to connect, uh, which is what our free society and our First Amendment is all about. So even in cases of private property, 
there an argument can be had that under certain circumstances, um, even there, the the owner of said private property um, can't come in and just have a blanket restriction or control on First Amendment rights. Yeah, if it's an, an area where they have an open, uh, kind of an open area where people are, you know, like an eating area, you know, like a mid part of a shopping mall. Um, now, inside a store, hey, you know, they, they, the courts say, no, inside a store, they can say, you're out of here, you know. Uh, they can have what limitations they want with regard to their customers, uh, within reason, of course, has to comply with discrimination statutes provisions. But, um, but in open, open marketplace areas, traditional public forums, um, you know, like this, like this uh, large state fairgrounds, uh, you know, where our contention is, and I think the courts can agree with this, that they cannot uh, just put people in a six-foot-by-six-foot six box, so to speak, because um, that's not really allowing people to, to connect, to share, um, and uh, being able to, to share your faith, your convictions, your beliefs. Uh, our founding fathers, that was very, very important to them, and I know exactly what position they would, they would take on this if they were here today. It almost sounds as if they, they've sort of entered into the same precarious territory that many airports found themselves in 20, 30 years ago. And folks will remember the, the Hare Krishnas used to approach you and wearing their, their saffron robes and um, pass out tracks and, and whatever have you. And uh, many airports thought that this created a bit of a distraction or disturbance, however they saw it, so they would set up limited spaces or kiosks, and they were restricted to just sharing in that area, and, and after a while, that all of a sudden became a field day for attorneys and, and the courts as well. Yeah, exactly. And one thing about that, though, is like in an airport, you're talking about a much, lar- a much smaller space where, you know, such uh, limitations, or this is a place you can have your table, or this place, you know, um, is actually much more reasonable than an area of 350 acres and they just, you know, it's not, we would say that's not a reasonable time, place, and manner restriction uh, to place someone. And once again, also, our client um, is not selling anything. He's not soliciting. He's not trying to raise money. You know, that's that's not what he's about. And 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 in commercial speech limitations, restrictions, people wanting to sell or or solicit money and stuff. That's a totally different ball. Yeah, they, they can require that you have a peddler's license or something of that sort. I mean, that, that, that can be controlled by the municipality, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And those kind of restrictions are the courts have distinguished and said, no, no, we're, we're talking, that's talking about merchants and merchandising and asking people for money. Totally different than people just engaging in conversations and sharing their faith or their convictions or handing out gospel tracts. And uh, the courts have made that distinction, and we intend to make that distinction as well on behalf of our client. Now, you communicated, as you mentioned, with uh, the officials there at the uh, State Fairgrounds at Cal Expo, and it sounds like they resoundingly um, turned a deaf ear to your argument. So this is going to make its way through the courts. Uh, I know you don't have a a, um, uh, crystal ball, but if you could predict, how do you think this is going to turn out? Well, we have a 91% success rate with what we file in the courts. And I think this is going to make that, um, that, that percentile. I think it's going to be one of our winning uh, cases, not our losing cases. Uh, it's, you know, it's filed in Sacramento County Superior Court. We just filed it. And uh, it's based on both the First Amendment and Article One, Section 2 of the California Constitution. So uh, it's, uh, it, it'll probably be going up on appeal and maybe the state Supreme Court and maybe the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll have to see. 
All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this whole uh, plays out. Of course, it has uh, you know strong implications across the board. Again, to be to be distinct about this, this is not a matter of somebody that's uh, you know using a bullhorn and and could be uh, charged with uh, disrupting the peace, uh, violating uh, noise ordinances, things of this sort, or <coughs> as initially was suggested here by the. Um, the uh, Cal Expo police that he was uh, accused of soliciting. Well, no, he was not selling anything at all and, and uh, you know, simply uh, passing things out and chatting with passersby and people there on the fairgrounds, which, uh, as Brad Dacus points out, is very well protected by the First Amendment rights. We'll see if the courts decide uh, in favor of uh, <laughs> the, the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, or is this going to be a, a long, drawn-out battle? We'll certainly find out. Time will tell. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Thank you, as always, sir, for that update. More information available on the web at pji.org. That's pji.org. All right, they're playing our song, Michael Bennett, here at uh, 517. Give us a look at traffic on this Tuesday. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There's been a lot of political grandstanding, we'll call it, over the course of the last several days since the tragedy unfolded in New Zealand. Um, one shooter, two different locations, um, body count over 50 dead, equally as many injured, raising a lot of questions pertaining to um, not just the events that create an environment or an atmosphere that encourages people to think that they can do something like this or that there's some sort of intrinsic value to um, acting out in such violence, but I think also, too, uh, raising questions in relationship to the way we respond to all of this. Joining me now with some insights, we're joined by Dr. John Schmirak. John is the senior editor of The Stream. He served as press secretary to Louisiana Governor Michael Foster. And you can read his musings and insights frequently at both Success Magazine and in Investors Business Daily. And, John, great to have you back on the program. Thanks. Good to be on. You know, whenever we hear of a tragedy like this, no matter who the target is, our hearts go out because there are lives that are irreparably impacted by this. Husbands have lost wives, wives have lost husbands, daughters have been killed, sons have been killed, on and on the list goes. And I guess at a level we try to reason our way through to give us a sense of, of maybe a peace in the middle of the storm. We try to reason our way through uh, or find some sort of driving logic behind these actions. And I suppose at the end of the day, the, the real core or central answer is there is no logic behind this. This is what happens when you see man expressing extreme inhumanity toward mankind. This is the result of man's fallen nature or our sin nature, uh, perhaps at many levels at its worst. In, in relationship to all of that, from your viewpoint, John, as you followed this as an individual and, and certainly as a reporter, uh, what are your thoughts insofar as a Christian response to the New Zealand killer? Well, well I think it's interesting that these, these mass killers uh, like Timothy McVeigh and Anders Breivik and this guy, 
not one of them was an avowed Christian. All of them had left Christianity for some kind of racial cult. And I think that's interesting and telling, because when we hear of massacres of Christians in the Muslim world, they are by practicing Muslims who are citing verses from the Quran, who have, sometimes have their clerics urging them on to do it, whereas the people who do this from the Christian world are apostates from Christianity, because this is not compatible with Christianity. It sadly is with with uh, many versions of Orthodox Islam. Yeah, it's interesting and, to note that there really is a juxtaposed there on one side. It is demonstration of somebody who was outright rejecting the principles of Christianity, and yet in the cases where we see um, the practice of extreme violence um, against Christians and others by those of the fundamentalist Islamic faith, it is at the core demonstrative of them um, practicing uh, to the fullest many of the teachings that we see throughout Islam, whether you read the Hadith or or um, uh, go into other holy scriptures within the religion, uh, this uh, acts of violence are, are, are littered throughout uh, not only the teachings of Islam, but certainly the history of Islam. That's right. And too many Christian leaders, including the Pope, I say this as a, as a Catholic, um, are calling for basically open borders to the Muslim world. Even though we look at countries like Lebanon and Kenya and Congo and Pakistan, and we see how Christians are persecuted by Muslims who are following their religion, not abandoning it. But, and, but you see all these, pre, these pre, priests and ministers and bishops saying that we have to welcome the stranger, twisting that biblical verse out of its context, and we can't do anything to keep Muslims from becoming a huge portion of our societies. And what, they are, what they're doing is they're turning Christianity, they're perverting it into a civilizational suicide cult. They're, they're making Christianity seem like it's pacifist, like it's a kind of Gandhi non-resistance. We don't defend ourselves. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't have the death penalty. We barely believe in imprisoning people. And what that, what that does in the Muslim world, they just look and see that as weakness, and they hold it in contempt. Part of this then demonstrative of, of, of maybe a grander thing that's taking place here, and, and, and clearly there is movement taking place within both the, the Islamic side of the equation in terms of, you know, the push towards uh, the caliphate and the desire for global domination, perhaps along with, sadly, uh, what is in an increasing level, certainly in the West, uh, almost a methodical, organized rejection of the fundamental tenets of Christianity. We've certainly seen this throughout much of Europe, where, where today Europe that had been the cradle of both Western civilization and certainly of uh, you know the, the embracer of the influence of, of pure biblical Christianity, today is a mere shadow of its former self. And if there's any place where we can point to the, the almost uh, across-the-board demise of the influence of, of the Church is Europe itself. Right, right. But in Europe, they, they keep a few churchmen around as kind of ch- as kind of chaplains to bless this mass this mass influx of Muslims and say, "Oh, it's not Christian to stop them from coming." And and once they've done their duty and said, "Yeah, bring in more Muslims," then they send the, the, the clergy away. They don't listen to them on abortion or euthanasia or any or same sex marriage. They just they trot them out as useful idiots to say it's unchristian to close the border. Then they shove them off stage. And meanwhile, the secularized Europe has an unbelievably low birth rate. There's a great book by David P. Goldman, 
Why Civilizations Die. And he points out that in the developed world, only two countries have a positive birth rate, a birth rate that would sustain itself and replace itself, the United States and Israel. Is part of this the fact that we, we, we have a fundamental misunderstanding or maybe a desire not to learn at all the fundamental differences between these two worldviews in particular, and, and I would say maybe to a broader degree, I, I would put on one side of the equation the Judeo-Christian viewpoint or Judeo-Christian ethic versus that of what, what's, what's, uh, what's taught in the, the Islamic or Muslim world? You no, know, absolutely. People don't want to know. They don't want to think about the fact that Islam wants to conquer the world because that's what Muhammad believed God taught him. But I, I want to continue about the birth rate. If we continue to have a negative birth rate while the Muslim world has a positive birth rate, if we continue to have no sense that we have a right to defend ourselves while they feel they have the right to conquer us, um, we're doomed. And the secular worldview always results in a birth rate that's too low to sustain itself. Because, frankly, now that people just have contraception, having children is not the easy way to a life of pleasure and ease and comfort. And the only, the only subcultures that have a positive birth rate in the West are religious Christians, religious Jews, and Muslims. And the irony, of course, is we've even exacerbated that situation uh, by, in the Western world in particular, embracing abortion on demand, which is also massively contributory to, as you're suggesting, a significant decline in the birth rate. So not, not only is there sort of rejection of, of what had been that historical sense of, well, we need to do this to, to you know, keep the race going, to, to replicate and, you know, build communities and, and nations and all of that, but we're even saying, hey, we're going to reject the fundamental teachings of Scripture regarding the value and sanctity of human life and instead abandon that for what appears to be more convenient. And in doing so, we're, we're, we're essentially you know, wiping ourselves out. You want to hear something that's kind of creepy? For It's almost a one-for-one. One. For, for every child we aborted in America, we've brought in a foreign immigrant. It's like our society needs those people. We're killing our own, so we're bringing in foreign people who will have foreign, often foreign values and often vote for socialism, or in the case of Islam, will vote for Sharia. Well, and, and sadly, as we've seen here in America, and I've talked a lot about this on the program, and uh, we have uh, people like Walter Hoy, and um, um, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the niece of uh, Dr. King, uh, it'll come to me in a moment, who's frequently been on this program, uh, talking about the issue that within certain minority communities, in, 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 in cahoots, I'll call it, uh, with organizations like Planned Parenthood, we have seen such an impact of this that the ability for a community or a, a sector of our, of our society to even sustain itself, let alone have a, a, a growth rate, but to sustain itself for survivability is becoming into question. I mean, look, for example, what's taking place within the African-American community in America. My goodness, over the course of the last 40-something years since the legalization of abortion in our country, uh, the, the, the birth rate among blacks has been dropping and dropping and dropping, and 40 years into this, they're, they're barely maintaining 13% of the U.S. population, uh, and, and even that is in question 
in terms of being able to to uh, sustain that percentile of the population because of the alarming disproportionate degree of abortion. We know a lot of that has to do with with many of the the, the outright racist principles and thinking of. Uh, Margaret Sanger and where they have uh, strategically placed abortion clinics and promoted abortion on demand within certain communities with with very racist intent in mind. And and sadly, at certain levels, they're winning. Let's take a time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. We're visiting today with the editor of The Stream, Dr. John Schmirak, and we'll come back with more right after we get you an update on traffic. All right, 532, let's head over to the KFAX Traffic Center. Say hello once again to Michael Bennett. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. By the way, Dr. Alveda King, that was the name I couldn't remember a moment ago. Is that that's over 50 thing happening? <laughs> Dr. John Schmerich with us today, senior editor of The Stream. We're talking about um, the reaction across the globe to the New Zealand killer and some of the broader issues that are at play here. You know, I think of the writings of Dr. the, the late theologian, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, um, John, who spoke a lot and warned a lot about the post Christian era. And I wonder if part of what we're also seeing here is, is is a shift where essentially the church that had been at the core and influential in driving everything in culture and society, art, entertainment, family, government, and, and today, but particularly in the West, is becoming more and more of a shadow of its former self that we're essentially reaping what we have sown by by embracing a false gospel. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think it is, and I think part of it is um, churches that are really uh, embracing the social gospel, that are seeing political correctness and, a, and, a, and an empty compassion that abandons the moral law and just embraces people wherever they are and doesn't ask them to change, will accept them exactly as they are, uh, not ask them to sin no more, but affirm them in their sins. Uh, people... People have turned the gospel itself into a caricature of just empty compassion, mercy without justice, just a, a kind of a cult of self-affirmation and non-judgmentalism. And, you know, and, uh, there, there's, there's certainly room and place for social justice and social action and, and, and standing up for uh, those that have no voice. Of that, there's no doubt. But it's only one side of the two-sided coin here. And, and as you point out, I mean, if, if, you, if, you have, if you have justice with no mercy or mercy with no justice, uh, it, it really becomes very shallow, and and creates an atmosphere where nothing positive can ever come come forward or come out of birth of this sort of of, of sort of I don't know what to call it mealy mouth uh, uh, compromised Christianity. Yeah, actually, uh, Islam you could see as justice without mercy, and liberal liberal post Christianity is mercy without justice. Mm, good point. Good point. And uh, the, you know the two the two things are currently working hand-in-glove. That's what's interesting, is that the liberal Christians who do everything they can to drive the Orthodox out of their church, 
you see what they tried to do with the United Methodists. They tried to steal all the property of, of any par- any congregation that didn't want to do same-sex marriage. They failed thanks to the votes of the Africans, and now they're saying the Africans cheated, the Africans bribed, the Africans, you know, they didn't vote right, so they're not capable, capable or competent. The liberal Methodists are fighting back. Well, they, they try to drive the, the Orthodox entirely out. Pope Francis drives out Orthodox faithful Catholics, but then they want to admit into the country people whose views are far more ferocious, who don't just want to avoid same-sex marriage, but have the death penalty for homosexuals, which Islam does. It, it, it's fascinating to me. It's like they, they, can't, they can't abide the healthy synthesis of mercy and justice that Orthodox Christianity traditionally is, so they make themselves into this this pathetic, cringing caricature, and then they welcome the Saracen horde. Yeah, and certainly, you know, the, the inability to 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 distinguish where the balance ought to lie, or distinguish the the what had been traditionally very clear lines of demarcation between good and evil, right and wrong, etc. I, I you you mentioned the Pope for a moment, and I, I don't want to go too far afield here and uh, and end up with a thousand emails to respond to tomorrow morning. But um, in particular, um, Pope Francis has been back in the news a lot. Much of this in relationship to ongoing controversy related to church sex scandals, which we thought we'd kind of put behind us a decade ago. Now we're learning that didn't really happen, and even as his predecessor, Pope Benedict XVI, supposedly came in to uh, clean up Dodge, as the saying goes, that really hasn't transpired. And now we're discovering that the um, the, the duplicitness in, in covering up some of this instead of allowing the light of day to really flush out and and allow the church to put this horrific scandal behind itself just 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 continues. I mean, this 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 sleight of hand, I guess, at a level they just can't get away from. Too many priests are practicing homosexuals. Far too many. A staggering percentage. We don't know the exact percentage, but ac- according to the church, the survey, the John Jay Institute, a uh, John Jay Commission that the church itself hired, they came up with percentages of between 15% and 53% of priests call themselves homosexual. That's compared to 2% of the general population, according to the Center for Disease Control. So that's either 700% or 2,500% of the, current, of, the, of the normal male population. They create a subculture that's tightly knit, that drives out Orthodox people, that prevents... The, keeps them out of the seminary. I mean, Cardinal McCarrick, who ran the Catholic Church in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., was sexually harassing 20-year-old boys in the seminary. And Pope Francis knew about it and didn't consider it a major, a major character flaw. Yeah, well, one of the issues I think that's been in play here is, but there's been there's been major fear over the potential financial implications of all of this. There have certainly been a handful of of significant class action lawsuits against the church, and uh, you know you, it almost would seem as if they're circling the wagons because they're attempting to try and 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 protect not only the hierarchy but but protect the purse strings, so to speak. But but doing so, that's creating a environment that allows 
this situation, particularly with the pedophilia going on, to, to fester. And, and sadly, the inability to step forward and say, okay, we're really going to clean house here, uh, you know, continues to, uh, to mar the church. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, every time you think that the church has got this behind itself, it's facing more problems. Uh, John, we're out of time, but I appreciate your time today. Uh, Dr. John Smerick, again, Senior Editor of The Stream. More information available on the web at thestream.org. That's thestream.org. Let's get a look at traffic right now, 544, and an update for you. Here's the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joining me tonight again in studio is Reverend Walter Hoy. You know him probably most famously or amongst the courtrooms of Alameda County most infamously um, as the the minister who was taking a stand in a very loving, peaceful, quiet fashion um, in Oakland at a... um, an abortion clinic up there, just standing around, making himself available to women that maybe would like to have some last-minute insight as to what they were about to do. And uh, the city of, uh, of Oakland and Alameda County didn't like all that. He ended up spending some time in jail because of his position on life. He's with us tonight talking about a new campaign that has taken place in the city of Oakland, and maybe you've seen them, some 60 billboards around the city that simply proclaim black and beautiful, too many aborted, Dot com And uh, we talk about these skewed numbers here, Walter, before the break. Clearly that's got to lead people even that don't necessarily uh, have an opinion on this topic or have never been strongly morally motivated to get involved in the fight for the unborn in the past to hear numbers like that and say that clearly there's something that is dreadfully and deadfully wrong. Absolutely. You've got to ask yourself the question, regardless of what side of the argument you find yourself on, is this, what's your number? If 60% of all black pregnancies being aborted in New York City isn't a high enough number for you to get concerned about this, you've got to ask yourself that question. What's your number? Is it is it 70? Is it 80? Is it 90? Uh, what would, well, how would you feel if it was 100? The, the numbers are astronomically high, and they're astronomically high in almost every state in the union where we have these statistics. In California, it's just amazing. California itself could be considered the nation's abortion capital just by the sheer number of abortions performed in our state. We're talking about over 214,000 abortions every year committed here, right here in this state. With numbers of that sort, clearly there needs to be some education about all of this. Give us some insights as to why you feel, based on your research, your involvement with the community, um, what you've learned as to why these numbers are so horrifically disproportionate. I mean, I, I, I think it's clear that, you know, teenagers, uh, young adults are having intercourse. I don't care what the race is. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think we can probably see that as a given. So what is it that's going on here that's creating these numbers to be so skewed, so horrifically disproportionately? Well, I, I think we've got to get back uh, to where, the African-American community hears truth, uh, and, that's, and that's in our churches. I'd I, I like to see our, our pastors 
preach more on on these subjects, these issues that that matter. I think we've got to get back uh, to our foundations where it's taught that marriage is between a man and a woman, where abstinence is is celebrated, uh, not just sort of mentioned because that's basically Christianity one-on-one. We need to do a better job of reaching our young people with the biblical tenets on how to live this life. And and apparently, um, we're just not getting that done. And along with that, when you look at the concerted campaign that is engaged in by organizations like Planned Parenthood, who not only have access to millions of dollars that they receive in exchange for the quote-unquote services that they offer, but also millions of dollars of our taxpayer dollars that are going to underwrite what they're doing that allows them to not only do their television ads and they show up on billboards and they show up on bus cards at bus stops and so forth, uh, but even when it comes down to the the strategic fashion in which they decide to locate their clinics, and I and I would challenge anybody listening right now, uh, just do a Google search, and then when when the uh, the information is returned through Google or Bing, whatever you use uh, for Planned Parenthood clinics in the Bay Area, go to the maps and look at where they're located. And, and folks will find um, a commonality amongst the locations of those centers, won't they? Uh, it, it won't be a surprise to, to, to anyone. Uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, in, in combining uh, with the, the media, which keeps this type of information uh, really away from the public, uh, has made it extremely difficult for us to get this type of message across. And so I, I highly recommend uh, people to really take a look at Planned Parenthood, study their history, understand what they're really all about, and then ask yourself the question, does anybody really have the right to take the life of an innocent human being? Is uh, they look at the locations of those centers, they're going to find that there are uh, no centers, uh, no ribbon-cutting ceremonies uh, <laughs> scheduled to open a new one in Atherton or in Danville or in Salcedo. Uh, now, if you're listening, those that have an ear to hear, you'll notice that these are communities that are uniquely uh, lacking a large black or minority population. But you look at sections of Oakland and East Palo Alto and Menlo Park and East San Jose and on and on the list goes, there's where you'll find all of the Planned Parenthood centers. Uh, absolutely. If you consider the, the, the brand new monstrosity that's being built in Houston, Texas, which is second only to China in, in the middle, is smack dab in the middle of three minority neighborhoods. And that's not just a little tiny corner clinic either. This is uh, going to be a multi-story building. Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. That's going to be n- nothing like it. And again, we're talking about something that's big enough to uh, take up three minority communities. And so it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Uh, I believe African-American community is being targeted. And it's time for us to break the truth. I let the people see the actual sheer numbers of abortions taking place in the African-American community and then ask themselves the right question. These numbers are not hidden. Uh, Folks can go online and with a little bit of research know exactly what the numbers look like, both in terms of the the population, the the most recent 2010 census, census, the number of abortions that are performed by Planned Parenthood or their clinics and affiliates, um, the percentage of those that are attributed to, uh, you know, various uh, uh, races, minority groups across the United States. It's easy to come up with a conclusion. Then I have to wonder, 
Walter, why aren't we hearing more of a hue and cry going on? Uh, why why are we not hearing um, some of these more, uh, shall we say, self-styled, self-appointed leaders within the community, whether you're talking about <laughs> Charlie Rangel of New York or you're talking about uh, um, Jesse Jackson, um, whomever, why do we not hear uh, a public outrage and outcry over what has got to be nothing short of of targeted genocide against uh, black Americans in our country? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I think if you take a look at the history, you'll find that many of the leaders that are now pro-choice at one point weren't. But somewhere along the line, money got involved and they've made a decision. And now they're having to, to live with that decision, the consequences of that decision. Has this become, in, in some circles with some individuals, um, more of a political issue then than a moral one? In many cases, it's, it's, it's a decision of expediency, and in often cases, politics has a lot to do with it. I mean, we know, for example, the firm position that the Democrat Party in America, and I don't want to turn this political, but the Democrat Party in America has a very definitive position in very, defending very. Uh, the Roe versus Wade decision and in very. keeping uh, abortion uh, legal here in America and in many cases per, you know, paid for by public dollars, tax dollars. Yes, uh, we also know that the Republican Party has had a plank steadfastly fastly against uh, on-demand abortion in this country going back to the days of, of Ronald Reagan. So if you look at the associations, the party affiliations uh, that an Al Sharpton has or, or any of these other leaders that we mentioned before, they're all Democrats, and they're aligned with a party who's aligned with Planned Parenthood. Absolutely. Um, it, the Democratic Party platform is clear. Uh, you can read it for yourself. The Republican Party platform is clear. You can read it for yourself. And I, I, would, I would challenge anybody to ask themselves uh, the question, is it really anybody's right uh, choice, uh, whether uh, it's a difficult choice or not, to take the life of an innocent human being? We've got to come to the point where we understand what abortion is and what abortion does. You start with one bad decision, and then that leads to a second bad decision. Mm. The first and one of which mm. is uncomfortable. It is unscriptural. The second one leads to death. Mm. Uh, I mean, to talk about killing a gnat with a with a with a hammer. Mm. Uh, if you had just made the first decision correctly, you would never found yourself in the position of of being coerced, forced in some cases into the second decision. Absolutely. And that's where we need to come around and support our women, support our children. Uh, uh, oftentimes, the, our women find themselves in a very difficult position, and we need to come around and wrap our arms around them and support them. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. If you take a look at James 1 and 27, we're talking about pure religion, and it's talking about orphans and widows. Again, we're talking about mothers, uh, children, and it's time that we really take a look at our priorities uh, there is such a, a disparity between uh, what we say we do and, and what we say we're all about uh, and then what's actually happening in our communities. Um, I think our, our women who find themselves in very difficult decisions uh, need to also find themselves just wrapped around the love of Christ by the body of Christ. And I think a lot of decisions would be made differently. Now, if you have seen the billboards all and around Oakland, uh, 60, some told, black and beautiful. I'd like to get your feedback. What do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? Is this is this making folks feel a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable? Um, and if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? How do we raise awareness? 
Um, how do we respond to what some consider to be nothing short of a modern-day genocide going on in all places, the United States of America? Thoughts, comments? Um, in particular, are you appalled by the the um, imbalance of the numbers? And back with more after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.